0: Welcome to our weekly podcast. We're in week three of a message series called Marks of a Healthy Church. For several weeks this summer, we're talking about some of the essential marks or the essential characteristics that all healthy churches have in common. These marks serve as a great reminder for all of us about what's truly important in the life of the church. We do have a key passage for this series, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In this passage, we read about what the early church was devoted to, the things that were important. Now, all the marks that we're talking about in this series are clearly seen in Acts chapter 2 and in the example of the early church. Last week, we started talking about the essential mark of authentic biblical community or fellowship, And I'd like to once again read from Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, so that we can see this mark in context with everything else these early Christians were devoted to. And then we'll pick up where we left off in last week's message in Romans 12. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the second mark of a healthy church um, is found in verse 42. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To fellowship. This fellowship is authentic biblical community. We said last week that God has created each and every one of us with a need for relationship. Relationship with him and with others. That God has designed us to live in community with others. And although there are private aspects of our faith, things like prayer, giving, and our quiet time with the Lord, our faith was never meant to be lived out in isolation. So instead of coming to church on Sundays, singing a few songs, listening to a message, and then going home completely disconnected from other believers, God has created us to live in community with one another. Gathering together on Sundays is extremely important. In fact, if you're a member here at OCC, um, that's one of the expectations that we have for all of our members, uh, that we make Sunday worship a priority. But the other six days and 23 hours throughout the week are important as well. Staying connected with other Christians throughout the week is vital to our faith. Not only does God teach us that we were created with a need for relationship, a need for community, but he's also given us a blueprint for what his design for community is meant to look like. One of the best examples that we have of what authentic biblical community is meant to look like is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 16. In this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us roughly 25 commands and exhortations describing how God has called us to live in community with others. Now, we need to be reminded that most of these commands specifically apply to the relationships that we have within the church, the relationships that we have with other believers. Paul is saying that our vertical relationship with God should have a direct effect on our horizontal relationships with other Christians. So you could say it this way, if we're growing in our relationship with God, then naturally we should also be growing in our relationships with other believers. These 25 commands and exhortations are summarized by the 10 one another's that we see throughout this passage. And these one another's, they help us understand God's design for authentic biblical community. Last week, we focused in on the first five one another's. And if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen through our weekly podcast. Um, The first five one another's, they provide a great starting point for what it means to be devoted to authentic biblical community. And today, I want to wrap up that message by sharing uh, part two. We'll focus in on the remaining five one another. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first one another for today is we motivate one another. We motivate one another. We see this in Romans 12, 11 and 12. Paul writes, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. To never be lacking in zeal means serving God enthusiastically. It's having an authentic passion for Jesus, a sincere passion that's exemplified in the way that we live our lives. Now, Paul understood firsthand that life was going to come with all kinds of trials and troubles, so he encouraged his readers to find their joy in the hope that they have in Christ, to be patient, waiting on God's timing and on his plan, especially during difficult seasons, and to persevere in prayer, to keep praying even when it's hard to pray. But even in difficult seasons, not only is it possible, but God's plan for our lives is that we would keep a passion and keep enthusiasm for Jesus, that we would have this kind of zeal that's contagious, even when life is tough. And that's where the motivating one another comes in. Have you ever been around someone who made you want to be a better person simply because you spent time with them? You know, I thought about sharing uh, the names of a couple people who've had this kind of effect in my life, but the truth is there's there's too many to name. There have been so many people in my life who lived in such a way that it made me want to grow in my relationship with God. It made me want to be the husband and the father that God has called me to be. The way they lived motivated or encouraged me in my faith. Paul is saying this should be the commentary of our lives and of all of our relationships. As Christians, we should live for Jesus in such a way that our lives motivate others to grow in their faith because they spent time with us. You know, if you walk with people, As you walk with Jesus, before long, they're going to be motivated to follow Jesus as well. And if they're already a follower of Christ, your example will encourage them. It'll motivate them in their walk. So the big question for uh, this point has got to be this. How are you representing Christ? And how are you motivating others in their faith? I want to give you three uh, short, practical examples of things that you can do to motivate others Today, things you can do to be an example to others in the way that God wants you to be. So, the first is motivate one another with your words. Motivate one another with your words. Uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, we're reminded over and over again throughout God's word that our words have power. Our words have power. God's word reminds us that the words we say can bring life or death. They can hurt or they can help. They can build up or they can tear down. So whether you're at church, at home with your family, or at work, it's important every single day to give God control of your tongue and to look for opportunities to motivate one another with your words. I think a great way to give yourself a checkup in this area is to ask this question. Do my words reflect a heart that has been changed by the gospel? Man, that's a that's an important question. You know, if your words have caused more harm than good lately, I want to encourage you to confess that to God and ask him to speak to you before you have the opportunity to speak to others. Now, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's important to listen to God before we speak to others. So let's look for opportunities to motivate one another with our words. You can also motivate one another with your actions. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So our words matter. But you know what? Our actions matter as well. In fact, sometimes our actions speak louder than words. God's word reminds us that our actions, how we love and serve one another can give people an accurate or inaccurate picture of who Jesus is. So if you're in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead also lives in you. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit lives in you, guiding your life, encouraging you, convicting you, teaching you how to understand and live out God's word. The Holy Spirit gives you the strength and the power that you need to live for Jesus each and every day. Now, we're not always going to motivate one another or encourage one another in the right way by the way that, that we live. I mean, after all, we're sinful people who mess up all the time. But that's why God reminds us to live as citizens of heaven, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You know, to live as a citizen of heaven is a reminder that this place is not our forever home. And I fear that far too often we live as though this is it. You know, these bodies that we have, these are temporary. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to be reminded about that every single day. I need to have the reminder that what I do in this life is only preparing me for eternity with God. You know, I want to live as a kingdom worker motivating others, encouraging others with my actions and sharing Jesus with as many people as possible before my time here is done. So a great way to give yourself a checkup in this area is to ask this question. Do my actions demonstrate the good news of Jesus to others? If your actions have caused more harm than good lately, Again, I want to encourage you to confess that to God and ask him to help you uh, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Surround yourself with other Christians who can motivate and encourage you in your faith and who will, in turn, help you motivate and encourage others in theirs. Let's look for opportunities to motivate one another with our actions. Now, there's a third piece uh, to the puzzle here, and this one's a little different, and that is... Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, Paul wrote these words. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Why is Paul so concerned about what other people think? Why is he so concerned about our thought life? I think it's because most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Think about that for a moment. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Our minds have a tendency to wander from the truth, and we do that so easily, especially these days when we're constantly being fed lies through social media, in the news, and through the movies and TV shows that we watch. I mean, we're constantly being told that we are the center of our own universe, that life is all about what we can get, and that God is a myth, that God doesn't exist. That's why Paul reminds Christians to guard their thoughts and to think about things that are true, to think about things that are right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. What we think about often comes out in the way that we live, and that's why this point is so important. You know, if we're going to motivate one another with our words and with our actions, it starts with the things that we think about. If you're thinking about things that are hurtful, untrue, and things that that just don't matter, these things are going to come out in the way that you live. So we can't motivate one another. We can't spur one another on toward Christ if we're constantly letting the world in. And if we're thinking about things that are not pleasing and honoring to God. So instead of letting the world in, friends, let the word in. Again, that's why it's so important to begin each day in the word. You know, does your day usually start with the morning news or does it start in the word? I think how you answer that question should give you a good indication about how the rest of your day is going to go. Do you start the day with the news or do you start it with the word of God? God wants us to motivate one another. We Keep our passion and a sincere enthusiasm for Jesus uh, when we think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy and when we look for opportunities to motivate one another with our actions and our words. if you've lost some of that zeal for the Lord, some of that passion, some of that enthusiasm, I want to encourage you today to get back in the word and ask God to help you look for opportunities to motivate other people in their faith. Remember from last week that our needs are often met we look for ways to meet the needs of others first. So we motivate one another. The second one another is this. And we are generous towards one another. We are generous towards one another. Romans 12 verse 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So Christians are commanded to share with other Christians who are in need. And what I think is really cool about this truth is that the Greek word for share is closely related to the word for fellowship, which is koinonia, koinonia. And this word is used to describe how we express our fellowship, how we express authentic biblical community with one another by contributing to each other's needs. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, we read about how the early church would bring their resources together and would share what they had for the good of one another. We read about how people were selling their homes, they were selling their land and and other possessions so that they could simply provide for the needs of other believers. I mean, that's radical. That's radical Christianity. The early church gives us a powerful picture of selfless, sacrificial generosity. We also see in Acts chapter 2 that generosity is a mark of a healthy church. It's a mark of a healthy church. So I would go as far to say that Authentic biblical community cannot exist without the sacrificial generosity of its members. and Because our God has demonstrated what perfect generosity looks like, we are now called to live radically generous lives as followers of Christ. Now, maybe you're thinking, these early Christians seem a little crazy. I mean, they were selling homes and land and and possessions. Maybe you're also thinking, What does this look like in the church today? I mean, are we supposed to do the the same things that the early church did? These are all great questions, and I'm actually going to ask that you put a pin in them and save them for next week, because next week we're going to talk about generosity as an essential mark of a healthy church. And I think this message is going to bless your life. I think it's going to be a little different than maybe what you're thinking, but in a good way. So we are generous towards one another. Let's move on to the third one another, and that is we celebrate with one another. We celebrate with one another. Romans 12, uh, the first half of verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. I want to share an important truth with you this morning, and that is this. Um, Christians are not in competition with one another. We're not in competition with one another. You know, when a brother or sister in Christ experiences some kind of success or some kind of win in their life, maybe in their family, at work, or in the ministry that God has called them to, um, we should not envy their success. Instead, we should rejoice or we should celebrate with them. There are a lot of communities in the world today that live in competition with one another. But Christians are called to live differently. We're called to celebrate with one another. And not only do we celebrate with one another, we also look for opportunities to partner with and celebrate what God is doing in and through other local Christian churches. I want to give you a short ministry update on a very special ministry in our church. Uh, This ministry is called Love Local. And you're probably familiar with Love Local. This is really our effort as a church to leave a lasting impression for Christ here in our own community. And we do that by partnering with other organizations to pray for them, uh, to serve alongside them, and to give financially to help them reach the goals that they have. Our Love Local ministry is currently looking for ways to partner with other churches in this area uh, to serve the residents at the Alaska Care Center here in town. Now, as their residents are able to come back together in person again, which is awesome, we've been asked to come and provide a worship service for everyone who wants to attend uh, once every four to six weeks. So members from our church are going to go over to the Onalaska Care Center, um, lead worship, give a short message, and pray for the residents. This is a great way to partner with other churches to make an even greater impact right here in our own community. So ideally, other churches will answer uh, this call, and they will go and serve the residents at the Onalaska Care Center as well. So churches are not meant to compete with one another, right? Far too often, um, that's the attitude that's out there. We're not meant to compete with one another. Instead, we're meant to complement one another for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. So we celebrate with one another here at OCC, and we can do that in a lot of different ways, but we also celebrate with other churches. Number four, we mourn with one another. We mourn with one another. Romans 12, uh, the last half of verse 15 says, mourn with those who mourn. So not only do we rejoice or celebrate with one another, and that's really the more positive side of this, but friends, we should also mourn with one another as well. This brings us back to one of the overarching truths about authentic biblical community, and that is that we were never meant to go through life alone. No one in the church, no one is supposed to experience hurt alone, which is why Paul instructs us to mourn with one another. What does he mean by this? I think he's saying that we should hurt when others hurt. We should pray for one another when we need prayer. We should support one another when we need support. So when our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through the storms of life, we should walk alongside them, helping carry their burdens. That's what Galatians chapter 6 talks about, specifically verse 2 and verse 5. I'm just going to read verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if you're in person on Sundays, if you watch the service online or just listening to the podcast, and you're going through a difficult season, you need to know today that you are not alone. God's word reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. And this is one of my favorite promises in the Bible. We're reminded that God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can then comfort others who are hurting with the same kind of comfort that God has given us. This might be one of the clearest examples that we have for what authentic biblical community is meant to look like. Here in the church, you're not alone in any season of life, especially during the difficult seasons. We were meant to walk alongside one another, bringing comfort and support to those who are hurting. We're meant to carry one another's burdens. You know, sometimes, uh, being a listening ear is the best way that you can mourn with those who mourn. You know, you might be thinking, well, I just don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I have the right words to say to walk alongside another person when they're hurting. Maybe that, maybe the idea of that makes you feel uncomfortable. Again, sometimes just being a listening ear is the best thing that you can do. Uh, my pastor back in Oklahoma City likes to say, uh, just show up and shut up. <laughs> You know, you don't have to be a certified counselor or a pastor to comfort those who are hurting. You don't have to feel like you have all the right words or know all the right Bible verses. Again, the best thing that you can do is simply be available. Just show up and shut up. Be a listening ear for those who are hurting. So it's important that we mourn with those who mourn. Number five, and this will wrap up uh, this two-part message. Live in harmony with one another live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. What is Paul saying here? Living in harmony with one another or living at peace with one another, I think is a lot easier said than done. You know, I mentioned last week that our church family can be challenging at times. Uh, Just like our physical bodies the body of Christ doesn't always function in the way that it's meant to. The church is a community made up of imperfect people that sometimes marked by unpredictable dynamics and even unwanted drama. Yet, we're called to live in harmony with one another. There's a formula or a recipe for how this is possible, and I want to share that with you today. Uh, Romans 12, verse 18, just two verses down from what we just read, says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. The church is a community of people who are learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. And because of this, harmony or peace within the body of Christ requires humility. Harmony requires humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, instead, it's thinking of yourself less. So, if we want to experience the kind of harmony that Paul is talking about, we have to go back to a verse that we looked at last week, Philippians 2 3. We have to put that into practice. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I need to remind you today that you can't control what other people say or how they act, how they behave. You can only control your own words and your own actions. That's why Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, it's up to you. We're called to live in harmony within the body of Christ. And harmony within the body of Christ requires humility on our part individually. So the kind of community that Paul describes in Romans 12 is meant to be a powerful testimony to the rest of the world. It involves so much more than simply coming to a building once a week, singing some songs, listening to a message, and then going home. God's created us for more than that. He's created all of us with a need for authentic biblical community, with a need for genuine relationships. And when we learn how to love one another as family in the church, God is glorified. The church is built up. It's strengthened. And we give the world a front row seat to the grace and the goodness of God.